watch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirconish right here in the middle. This is the Smirconish podcast for independent minds. National surveys of the 2020 presidential contest, national surveys of the 2020 presidential contest were the least accurate in 40 years. State polls, the worst in two decades. That, according to a brand new comprehensive report from the American Association of Public Opinion Research, Dr. Josh Clinton, a professor at Vanderbilt University, was the chair of the association's 2020 election task force. He's been a guest of mine previously on CNN and joins me now to talk about this on POTUS. Dr. Clinton, nice to see you again. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure, Michael. Anytime. So I guess when a couple of weeks ago I interviewed you on on television, a, a preliminary version of this report had come out or had just been leaked. But now I saw, you know, it's getting a tremendous amount of attention. But I first saw in the Dan Balls column in The Washington Post, the final report has been released. No, that's correct. So the version that we talked about earlier was a preliminary result based on the report that we gave at a, an annual conference. So this one's actually gone through and been vetted through all the proper channels. And so it's got all the sign-offs and everyone approved of what we had to say. And so it's just kind of the finalized version of what we talked about earlier. What was the approach? What what kind of data, how many surveys did you analyze? So we started collecting data back you know, as soon as the polls were being done. So we collected over 2,000 surveys. Every single public survey that was made available we collected it and tried to analyze it. And so at the end of it, we also worked with some pollsters who shared their individual level data with us so we can kind of get in the nitty gritty a little bit to figure out exactly as best we could what went wrong. And so it was a lot of time intensive effort. And it also was 18 people in the time of pandemic. It was a very collaborative and kind of make sure that everyone agreed with everything that we did. So it wasn't kind of someone going rogue on this. And so it was a very intensive process. And you were looking at national surveys, right? Popular vote-ish national surveys of the presidential election. You were also looking at state polls. That's correct. So we were looking at state polls for the presidency and also state polls for senatorial and gubernatorial contests. And so those were all the different polls that we were looking at in the report. Here's the way that it's been reported in the Washington Post. The AAPOR task force examined 2,858 polls including 529 national presidential race polls, 1,572 state-level presidential polls, they found that the surveys overstated the margin between President Biden and former President Donald Trump by 3.9% in the national popular vote and 4.3 percentage points in the state polls. So if I blend them together, there was roughly a, a four percentage point differential. That's correct. And so that means the poll said that the Biden was going by four points more than he actually did when the vote was all certified on average. How does how does so-called margin of error factor into this, if at all? That's a great question. And it's one that's one of the most commonly misunderstood aspects of it. So when people think about margin of error, they think, well, that's how wrong a poll could be. And that's actually false. Like all the margin of error says is there is this very technocratic term about it's like if I did the survey again and again, how much the results would vary. If I did, you know, it doesn't say how much that survey is off from the truth, which is what we're really interested in. And so for your listeners, like what I tell my family and my students is like, whatever you see the margin of error, like basically double it. And if the poll, if the margins within double the margin of error, then it's probably going to be, you know, it's going to be too close to call. I mean, you might have a sense of which candidates ahead, 
But that's a good benchmark to think about. I mean, so the margin of error is a really technical term about sampling. It's not really an assessment of how accurate the polls would be, which makes sense because if you think about what, as you just said, the average polling error was four points, which is bigger than most of the polls margin of error, which shows you there's more going on there. And so it's a really misfortunate way that people talk about polls and talk about the level of precision of polls that I think causes more causes a great deal of confusion. And that, well, that's good wonder, to clarify. I wonder, does it give cover to the pollsters who can say, well, our margin of error was three percentage point on that survey. So allowing for the three points, we were really only off by one. Yeah, I mean, there is a certain amount of, of that. I mean, so there is some kind of wiggle room. And I think it is good to know that polls are not as accurate as people think. I mean, if you just think about the level of difficulty that's involved in there, you have, you have to try to figure out who's going to vote on election day and then how they're going to vote. But you think about where we are right now, like even though it's July, we still don't know what the demographics of the electorate were, right? We don't actually record that information. So if you want to know, for example, how many 35 to 45 year old, you know, white guys voted, we don't have a definitive answer on that particular question much less any other demographics, like how many part, you know, people think about themselves as Republicans or Democrats voted. Like that information is never collected systematically because we have anonymous voting. And so then it makes it really, really hard to know, did the polls have too many or too few of, of certain types of groups? And so it's a really, really hard process with a lot of kind of error that, that's involved. Dr. Clinton, I know that many people who are listening to this or watching this will say, Polling was the worst in 40 years. It was off by roughly four percentage point, and it, it underestimated Donald Trump's performance. Therefore, Trump voters lied. End of story. Is it that simple? I mean, so we were very careful to only focus on things that we could prove. And so it did. So what we could figure out was that, you know, as you know, the, the turnout in the electorate was historic margins. And so it seemed to be that did the polls have enough of those new voters? And in particular, the new voters who are more likely to support the candidacy of President Trump. And so it's not necessarily that we could find that people were lying, although we can't rule that out. But it seemed more likely to us that what was happening is that those individuals were just not participating in polls. Right. So as you know, right, there seems to be this kind of trust deficit that's endemic to our society. People not trusting institutions, not trusting the media, not trusting science and not trusting pollsters. And, and so you might think that people who support, for example, President Trump may not be all that reluctant to hop on a phone with a pollster, especially given some of the language that was being used throughout throughout the campaign. So I don't know if it's a, necessarily people lying as as opposed to people choosing perhaps not to participate in, in kind of public opinion polls. In other words, if I'm a Trump household, perhaps, and I, I understand that you don't come to a definitive conclusion on this, the conclusion you come to is that the polling was the worst in 40 years. As to why, you're not sure. I get that, and I don't want people to be confused. But what you and I are speculating is that if I'm a Trump household and now someone calls my home soliciting a poll, trying to elicit from me who I'm going to vote for, it's not so much, perhaps, that... I don't want to tell them I'm for Donald Trump. So I'll lie and I'll say I'm for Joe Biden. But rather, maybe my line is one of those that goes click. I just don't even participate. Yeah, I mean, why would I tell the media? You know, if I don't trust the media or I don't trust the right. pollster, like, why am I going to tell you who am I going to vote for? Like, I'm not going to tell you that. Like, why would I, you know, why would I share my information? That's that's, you know, for me in the ballot box. And so, you know, that's I think that's, you know, we can't prove that that happened, but I think among the task force, that's what people were thinking, even though we kind of lock 
you know, lack of smoking gun to make that make that case strong. So did it matter, according to your analysis of, of you know, 2,858 polls, did it matter the type of poll that it was? Did it matter whether it was phone call, online, in person? No, I mean, it was across the board. Didn't matter whether it was phone poll, internet poll, a mixture of the polls. Didn't matter whether it was done by a Democratic or Republican, a media, an academic. Like, basically across the board, we saw a very similar pattern, which kind of, again, shows that it's not necessarily like a, a Democratic pollster problem. I and mean, Republican pollsters got this question wrong as well, right? And so, you know, if they had it right, it's arguably they could have retaken the House because everyone thought the Democrats were, were going to kind of add seats to their House majority. And turns out that was incorrect on the basis of some of this polling. And so it's a pretty pervasive issue. That's also a very pressing issue because it's very important for pollsters, you know, not only on the media and the academic side, but also in politics to kind of get this right, because it determines who gets the resources, who gets the attention. And that can be consequential for, you know, what we think about politics and to think about what might be happening on Election Day. Was it necessarily a Trump specific issue? In other words, what about a survey where Donald Trump wasn't referenced? Maybe there was a gubernatorial contest, a Senate contest, congressional race, where you were just looking at R's and D's without regard for Trump. Were they more accurate when he was removed? Well, so we saw similar levels of error regardless of whether Trump was involved in the particular contest. Um, But that's an excellent question that the honest answer is we're not really going to know until 2022, right? Because we thought of, if we think about what happened in 2018, the polls were pretty accurate. And so pollsters thought, you know, 2016, not great. 2018, all right, we're back to normal. We seem to be cooking with gas. Like it seemed to be a good performance. And then 2020 happens and like, you know, the kind of the wheels fall off again a little bit. And so that raises the question, like, is this something unique about the candidacy of the President Trump in terms of the types of voters he brings out to vote in all these different contests? And we'll, or is it something about, you know, his, the presidential voters versus the midterm voters? And so there's a lot of uncertainty that we'll have until, you know, we have to see a midterm election. And then do these voters, there seem to be a lot of voters in 2020, for example, that didn't vote frequently, but kind of came out for President Trump in unexpected ways. And so are they going to stay engaged in the political process? and not take polls? Or are they going to kind of recede if President Trump is no longer on on the political scene? Or do they kind of go to a different candidate who kind of picks up that mantle? So there's a lot of questions. In in 2016, because Donald Trump was not expected to win that election, in 2016, people said uh, the pollsters really blew it. But as I reread your data and understand the analysis, if you look at the popular vote in 2016, the answer is actually the pollsters did fairly well. Is that is that fair so far? Yeah, I mean, on the popular vote, I mean, the polls got it right in 2020 as, as well in terms of like who won. Right. And so like, right. this is right. kind of the, the complexity. Right. So if you step back and say, all right, four points of error, that's not super great. But if you think about, well, did you have a pretty good idea of what was going to happen or could happen on Election Day? I think the answer to that is kind of yes. Right. We knew Arizona and North Carolina and these places were going to really touch and go in Georgia. And like even if like the margin of error was off. Right. We know kind of what, what races are going to be blowouts, which races are going to be close contests. And so when I think about polls, it's kind of like you think about. You know, what's the score of a football game, but with five minutes left in the fourth quarter, right? You know where the blowout's out. You know where the close contests are going to be. And so could the result actually change? Could the loser come back and catch it? Yes, right? But at least you have some framework for thinking about where the close races are and kind of where the blowouts are 
And if you think about that perspective, like the polls do give us some, uh, some sense and some expectation about what's likely to happen with the election when all the votes are counted and certified. Well, let me ask this uh, direct question. Was the state polling worse in 2020 than the national polling? So the state level polling uh, in terms of, yes, the senatorial and gubernatorial races were the worst, were worse than presidential contests. And so as you went down the, t- the ticket, as you know, right, so the national popular vote had the smaller error, 3.9, as opposed to state level presidential, which is slightly larger. And then the, the senatorial and, and gubernatorial polls, those were off by six points on the margin. And so, you know, exactly why that's the case, whether the type of voters who are participating or as we know, there was a lot of roll-off voting, which is people who only voted for the presidential race, but not for those down-ballot races. So if we had those voters in the electorate, but not in the polls, that could also explain it you know, as well. And so again, as you got away from it, the errors seemed to get bigger. Um, so it, it's not directly tied to asking about the candidacy of President Trump, but it's possible that his impact on the entire electorate in terms of people's willingness to participate in polls could have been you know, outsized. And that's kind of what we thought could have been happening. So even if it's not about the particular question related to President Trump, maybe he just changed the dynamics of, of poll taking in the 2020 election. So let's sum up. Dr. Joshua Clinton, Vanderbilt University political science professor, you were the chair of this 19-member task force that looked at, as I said, 2,858 surveys from the 2020 presidential election, 529 in the presidential race, 1,572 state-level presidential polls. What did you learn? What is the takeaway that we should all leave with? So I think that the the takeaways are um, twofold. One is that I think it's, it's good to have a healthy amount of appreciation for what polls can and cannot do. I think, you know, people got a little bit overly um, optimistic about the ability of polls to pr- exactly predict what is going on as a result of 2008 and 2012. And now we've had two election cycles that kind of show that, you know, they're interesting, right? They give you a sense of what's going on. But, you know, the real poll that happens happens on election day and, and thereabouts. So kind of that's where the real game is to kind of think about that. The other thing is it seems to be you know, we can't prove this, but the issues seem to be more psychological than technological, which is to say it seems to be like in the world in which, you know, when you make a phone call and only seven out of 100 people end up answering the poll, you start worrying about who those people are and how representative they are. And so there's a lot that goes into polls that I don't think is communicated sufficiently to viewers to be informed consumers, unfortunately, about, you know, how trustworthy is, is this poll or not. And so, but you know, if there's but if there's some degree of confirmation bias, I don't even know if the, that's the proper word choice. But if if there's something you are telling us by your willingness to even participate in the survey, how as a pollster can you safeguard against that result? That's that's a great question. Right. And I think that is some of the challenge that the field faces going forward. It's like if the people who are participating differ from those who do not. Right. And right. now t- right. poll, poll taking is, is now a political act in some sense where perhaps, you know, some people are more trustworthy or kind of more excited to tell a pollster what they think about than others. Then that becomes a real serious problem. And so people are going to focus on, you know, how do I connect to those people? How do I encourage them to trust the process? And that's that's a Dr. Like Clinton, a billion dollar I, I've question. had this. I've had this conversation with Robert Trafalgar of the uh, Robert Kahaley pardon me, Robert Cahaley, he's probably listening, he'll be upset with me, Robert Cahaley (laughs) of the Trafalgar Group. And, you know, he's discussed 
with us some of his methodology, which is that he doesn't go right for the source. Like he doesn't call the Clinton household and say, how are you voting in the race? Instead, he tries to make it a conversation about one's family and one's social circle, their orbit. And from that, he has told me he gleans where that person is coming from because they're more likely to tell you what their friends and their neighbors and family members are than what they themselves are about to do. No, and I think that's, I mean, I think you'll see similar experimentation being done. I mean, the, you know, it's hard to, the difficulty there is that it's all psychological, right? And so you think about a Democrat going to 2020, thinking about what happened in 2016, right? They knew the polls were off. And so, you know, are, are those assessments that people are making, are they accurate assessment about what's going on or are they kind of psychological projections? And so Democrats being worried about are the polls, there's more Trump voters out there than than we're aware of. And so they're seeing like a Trump supporter between behind every tree in some sense and kind of overinflating that in ways that happen to work in 2020, but may not work in other elections where that the polls are more accurate. And so it's the difficulty is it's hard to know, right? It's hard to know, you know exactly if you're right or not. And so that's why you know, we'll just have to see what pollsters come up with kind of going forward to kind of work on this on this tricky problem. Thank you so much for that summary. That was really terrific. Very insightful and raises a lot of interesting questions. And I, I appreciate your time once again. Oh, my pleasure, Michael. Anytime. Take care. That's Dr. Dr. Joshua Clinton from Vanderbilt University. So Dr. Clinton seems to be saying, hey, it's not so much that we think they're lying, but it's just who'll choose to participate or won't choose to participate. Let me ask you a question that I have asked before, except now all the data is in, or most of the data is in. Why were the surveys the worst in 40 years? And by the way, if it's all a distrust of the media, distrust of institutions, distrust of pollsters, does that ever get better? I mean, where will we be going into the not so much the midterm, but in the 2024 presidential election, if you've got a lightning rod of a candidate like Trump, even if it's not Trump, maybe it's DeSantis. And someone says, well, Kamala Harris has a four point lead over Ron DeSantis. Will you put any stock in it? Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds.